And superheroes used to do this, you know, they were just basically named after their powers and they had a power and that was what made them unique and you polarised them that way. Mm. So it's very toyetic in that sense. That's what that word is. Like you can make toys out of it. And Thor Ragnarok just has that tradition of just like easily polarising a small cast around their capacities and so on. And it just really works. Everyone is very distinct. Everyone is very clearly defined. Everyone looks very different as well hello and welcome to the story toolkit i'm basim el wakil co-author of action the art of excitement with robert mckee and joining me is luke lionel writer and part of the mckee storylog team so today we're going to talk about thor ragnarok is that how it goes? Yeah. Hey, I did it. Note for note. Well yeah. done. Was it really? Uh, sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in touch, as always, uh, we're on Twitter at the Story Toolkit. Um, and you can email us through the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. And thank you to everybody that does so. Yeah, and if you could let us know if I was in note, key, tune. Because I don't understand music, and I don't know if I did it okay. Let's assume that you did. Cool. <laughs> uh, so Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. We fi- Luke finally saw it. Um, because it's basically the perfect movie for Luke. It is. Hulk wrestles a dog. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Thor, oh, It's my perfect movie because, by the way, Thor and Hulk are my two favourite uh, Marvel characters. Yeah. Um, and... Thor Ragnarok is my two favorite Marvel characters going on a Dumb and Dumber style road trip. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah. it's a great trifecta yeah. with a bit of Princess Mononoke thrown in there. <laughs> yes, right. Um, but um, yeah, so obviously spoilers for Thor Ragnarok now. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, I should start with a correction. I've been told I have to make a correction. Okay. Because uh, I saw Will and his wife Liz wanted me to make a correction. In one of our podcasts, we were talking about the greatest shows ever made. We said The Sopranos and yeah. The Wire and all this stuff. And then she quite rightly pointed out that we were wrong because we left West Wing off that list. So I'm sorry that we didn't put The West Wing, which is clearly the greatest show. I've been told I have to say this. Okay. <laughs> you do have fear in your eyes. <laughs> Okay, there's the corrections. I hope this will be the first of many corrections to come. I'm glad it wasn't a serious correction, because I thought we're going to be here for the entire hour. Why? Correcting things we've said in the past. We've never said anything wrong. wrong. It was all by myself. (laughs) So, With apologies to Reese Shearsmith. Um, Okay, go for it. Okay, so Thor Ragnarok. Um, Spoilers. So, uh, the film opens with Thor um, swinging from a chain. Um... Talking in um, what's it Niflheim? Is that what they call it? Surtur's place. Yes. Yeah. He so he's in Niflheim, which is like basically Asgardian sort of hell in a way. It's just this place full of fire demons and stuff. And Surtur is there, and Surtur is talking about how he's prophesied to bring about Ragnarok. And Thor has been having dreams of late of Surtur smashing Asgard, and he wants to stop Ragnarok from happening. I've blocked out Age of Ultron, but in Age of Ultron, do you see? Surtur. No, in Age of Ultron, you see this scene where uh, Thor has a vision, and in the vision, uh, all the Asgardians are like Heimdall is there saying, "We're all dead. You're the reason we're all dead." Then he shoots lightning out of himself. Thor does. Oh, okay. Uh, and then he sees the six Infinity Stones and decides to go looking for the six Infinity Stones. Okay. Knowing that, oh, sorry, one of them is the Mind Stone. Knowing the Tesseract, and he knows where he knows what. This is the weird thing. He knows where three of them are. Because he knows where the reality stone is, which is the ether from Thor Dark World. He knows where the mind stone is, because that's in Vision. He knows where the space stone is, because that's the Tesseract. Uh, He doesn't know where the power stone is, but that's on Xandar. Uh, He doesn't know where the time stone is, but that's Doctor Strange, has it. And the soul stone, we still... hasn't been told where Mm -hmm. it is. We'll find out in Infinity War. So... Thor, it opens with Thor. He went apparently looking for the stones. He couldn't find any, he says, but... You know, he knows where three of them are anyway. Um, so um, he, he didn't find any. Uh, but he's been having these dreams about Ragnarok. And he's come to Surtur and like, 
you know, he wants to stop Surtur. And Surtur saying, you can't stop me. As soon as I merge with the Eternal Flame, uh, which is Nazgard, I will grow to the size of a mountain. He's very adamant that it's the size of a mountain that he grows to. Um, and he's going to, you know, smash Asgard. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And Thor goes, well, you know, I, I'm going to stop it because that's what heroes do. And he gets his Mjolnir and he kicks the crap out of Surtur, cuts Surtur's head off, which means he's got Surtur's skull, which is what's the skull needs to be put into the Eternal Flame to create Ragnarok. So he's got the skull. He doesn't need to worry about it anymore. He then leaves uh, Niflheim through the Bifrost, which is the big rainbow bridge thing that they have. But Heimdall isn't there. Heimdall's a fugitive. Uh... Instead, in this place, is Carl Urban playing Scourge. And um, Thor's like, well, what's going on here? So he goes into Asgard and he sees he sees a play being performed, the tragedy of Loki. And there's a big statue of Loki. And um, the play, inexplicably, is being performed by Sam Neill and Matt Damon. <laughs> inexplicable cameos for no reason. Odin is watching this. And we remember that Loki has impersonated Odin. That's what he did at the end of the Dark World. Thor thinks Loki is dead, but we know that he's pretending to be Odin. So when Thor goes up there and he sees all this weird stuff, he realises that Odin is not Odin, and he forces Loki to reveal himself. And he t- explains to Loki, you know, he forces Loki, okay, well, tell me where Odin is. So they go to Earth, because he, he he's, you know, the skull's put in the armoury. They go to Earth because they, he needs to find Odin because he's worried about Ragnarok. When he goes to Earth, they can't, uh, the, the retirement home <laughs> that Loki, because Loki, it seems, mind-mastered um, uh, Odin thinking he's just a normal human being, left him in a retirement home. The retirement home's been demolished. So Doctor Strange shows up, and Doctor Strange is like, you know, so I, uh, I keep a track on who's coming and going, and Loki's one of those problem people, and he goes, yes, yeah, so a worthy inclusion. And so he says, well, you know, if I help you find Odin, will you just both leave? And he's like, yep, we'll leave straight away. He's like, great, I hope you find Odin. So he fi- he takes them to, he opens a, one of those little portals that he does. Oh, Odin and Loki go to Norway, which is where Odin is. Odin is back to normal. But Odin says, you know, my time is up, I'm about to die. Uh, and the problem is I've been holding back uh, the end, which is Hela, who's your sister, my firstborn child. I've been holding her back and as soon as I go, she's going to come out and I'm sorry I couldn't be there to stop you and help you out but it's my time is over and then Odin sort of just turns into mist at which point Hela immediately shows up they're about to have a fight uh, Thor she shows up and she's like kneel they won't kneel Thor throws his hammer at Hela Hela catches the hammer destroys me on there uh, so Loki panics and calls the Bifrost down and the Bifrost takes them back to Asgard Hela follows them on the Bifrost she knocks them both out of the rainbow bridge so they're lost in space she gets to Asgard. She basically kills the Warriors three. She kills almost everyone. Scourge, uh, scared uh, and aware that she's way too powerful for him to stop, kind of submits to her and says, you know, I'll work for you. And so she makes her, him her public executioner. And she goes to take over Asgard and she wants to go out and conquer the rest of the universe uh, using the Bifrost. And that's when she discovers that the sword that you use to work the Bifrost has been taken. Clearly Heimdall has come back, stolen the sword and run off. So now they have to find the sword in order to control Asgard. Meanwhile, Thor crash lands on an alien planet and wakes up and discovers he's on this planet called Sakaar, which is a junkyard of a planet. He immediately gets captured by someone called, uh, we don't know that her name is the Valkyrie, but she gets captured by this woman this incredible drunk, drunken sort of mercenary bounty hunter. She puts like a slave disc thing on his side, an obedience disc, they call it, which paralyzes him. She takes him and sells him to the Grand Master, who is the ruler of Sakaar, played by Jeff Goldblum, who's completely insane. It's wonderful. Um, and he, he likes the look of Thor to fight in his gladiatorial ring. And Thor... Um, sees that the Grandmaster and Loki are friends because time works a bit differently on Sakaar. So Loki has been there for two weeks, even though they've only just sort of both um, fell out of out of the sky. But Loki's managed to befriend the Grandmaster and he's friends with him. And the Grandmaster explains that Thor can have his freedom if he can beat his champion in the ring. So Thor accepts the challenge. Uh, he gets thrown down with all the other gladiators where we meet Korg and Meek. 
and Korg is this guy who like tried to have a revolution but failed because he didn't print enough pamphlets. <laughs> Just this rock being, and um, so Thor wants to fight the champion, and Korg is like, "Well, you know, that's what Doug said. Doug's over there. Oh, that's right, he's dead. Everyone who fights the champion dies." And Thor's like, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna beat him, and I'm gonna earn my freedom." Because that's the spirit in you, Doug. <laughs> so Thor then gets put in the ring. Loki's watching. Uh, the Grandmaster's watching. Everyone's watching. And the champion is, of course, the Hulk. And we get that wonderful bit where Thor's like, Yes! I know him! We're friends! He's a friend from work! And all that stuff. And, of course, Hulk fights Thor. Um, they, fight, they fight each other. It's a big, big fight. Um, and um, uh, Hulk's about to win. And Thor suddenly develops the ability to like just sh- send lightning down by himself. He doesn't need to have the hammer to do the lightning. He does this huge lightning bolt. And it seems Thor's going to win. So the Grandmaster triggers the obedient discs. So that Thor's paralyzed. And then Hulk just knocks him straight out. Uh, So the Hulk wins the fight. He wakes up, Thor. He wakes up in Hulk's sort of quarters. He has this like little quarters somewhere in in Sakaar. And he still wants to get off the planet. Uh, But the Grandmaster won't let him off the planet. And he has to work it out. And he... Realizes how did the Hulk get there? Well, the Hulk was in the Quinjet, the end of Age of Ultron, and he crash landed on Sakaar. So he finds where the Quinjet is, and he goes off to the Quinjet to try and steal the Quinjet so he can leave. Hulk goes, no, Thor has to stay. Thor stay with Hulk because Hulk's his friend. So Hulk crashes the Quinjet, smashes it up. Uh, but in doing, they play a video which was the message uh, Black Widow sent to Hulk at the end of Age of Ultron, and, and Banner loves Hulk, which causes Hulk to turn back to Banner. So now you've got Bruce Banner there, and uh, Thor, and they try to sneak off the planet. Valkyrie decides to help them. Loki decides to help them. Uh, then Loki decides to betray them. Valkyrie kidnaps Loki. So the four of them are like, we're going to get off the planet, we're going to go through this wormhole. Um... Um, and Loki's like, yeah, this sounds fine to me because I've used up my favors with the Grand Master. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work for me. Um, and so the Loki wants to kind of take over Sakaar, but um, uh, he, he thinks it's not gonna pay out for him. So Loki gets, uh, so the four of them are sort of mo- motioning their way to get off the planet. Uh, Loki betrays them. Thor sees the betrayal, uh, puts the Abelian disc on him, and leaves him there. And they go off and they manage to escape. There's a cool spaceship chase. Pew, 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 pew. They manage to get back and they get to Asgard. Korg is doing a revolution, <laughs> which is just great. He starts a revolution. There's this whole big revolution. And um, Korg finds Loki. He turns off the obedient disc. He doesn't know really who Loki is. He goes, hey, man, you want to come with us? We're going to go to this spaceship and leave. And Loki's like, yep, I'll be your leader. So they go on their spaceship. They get to Asgard. Hela's there. She's managed to find where Heimdall is with the sword and all the Asgardian people left uh she's going to slaughter everyone and take the sword so thor shows up they and the plan is he's going to fight hella while valkyrie and bruce banner get all the asgardians onto a spaceship to leave asgard like or rather not leave uh, a spaceship they're going to use the bifrost to get off asgard thor's fighting hella hella beats him she has this whole army of undead soldiers she beats him she takes his eye uh, Thor realizes he doesn't need the hammer to fight. He can summon the lightning himself because he is, after all, the god of thunder, right? As they say, he's not the god of hammers. He's the god of thunder. So they have the fight. Uh, her agents and Scourge and all that block off the Bifrost. They can't leave on the Bifrost. It seems like, you know, all hope is lost. That's when Loki and uh, Korg and the rest show up on another spaceship. And they're like, hey, if you want to get on the spaceship, we'll leave this way. So they start getting the Asgardians on and they're fighting the undead army and they're fighting Hela. And Thor realizes that they're getting the Asgardians on. There's no way they can beat Hela because um, Hela's uh, too powerful and she gets her power from Asgard. And once she has the Bifrost, she can conquer everyone. So there's only one way to stop it. And he sends Loki to get the Skull of Surtur put it in the Eternal Flame, and start Ragnarok. And that's how they're going to get out of it. And so that's what Loki does. They start Ragnarok, and as Surtur is smashing up Asgard, Hela tries to fight Surtur. That means that they can all escape, which they do. And as they escape, Hela and Surtur <coughs> fight. Surtur seemingly kills Hela, and then destroys all of Asgard. But the Asgardians are safe, but uh, the, the place is gone, but Hela's stopped as well now. And so Thor is now their king. They're in space and his he thinks that they should, you know, they're going to find a new place to make Asgard. 
and they've decided that it's going to be on Earth. And that's the end of the film. Nice and simple. Lots of fun. That's it. Nice short film. Let's talk about cast then. Yeah. There, there's a couple of things we want to talk about as as normal, but most of it stems from the actual cast. So yeah. first, can you just um, talk about polarizing? Yeah, so the, the film is, is a lot of fun, and one of the reasons is the cast is really polarized, and what that means is no one in the cast reacts the same way to the same event or information. Everyone is different. So uh, the example, I think it's the example in um, in Story by McKee, but I might be wrong, but the, the, the sort of the, the cliche example of polarized cast is everyone is at a dinner table, one person chokes, everyone else at the table reacts differently to the choking than... So no one reacts the same way to the choking. You know, one person gets up to help, one person laughs, one person is shocked, one per- you know, etc. Everyone does something different. So in, in the Firefly episode that we did, um, yeah, there's that uh, the explosion at the beginning. Yeah, we exactly. Went through. Yeah, everyone reacts differently to the explosion, right? So a polarized cast means uh, that you you have all these characters that will react differently to any situation, and so it, what it does is it gives you scenes. Because you can have scenes where it's just, say, Thor on his own, or Thor and the Grandmaster, or Thor and Loki, or Loki and the Grandmaster, or Thor, Loki, and the Grandmaster. Hela and Scourge, Hela and Thor, Hela and Heimdall, etc., etc., etc. So because everyone in the cast is polarised, you can constantly put different characters in different combinations to generate scenes, uh, so long as the spine of action is being picked up and moved in some ways, so long as the story's progressing, you can just keep putting people in different combinations to create more interesting things. And that allows you to do things like where there is a scene in Ragnarok where you have Thor, Loki, Valkyrie, and Banner all together. And the way it works is it's quite nice. You go, okay, we've well, got Thor, Banner, and Valkyrie. Then they walk into a room, then immediately goes Thor and Loki, then it goes Banner and Loki, Thor and Valkyrie, Banner, Thor, and Valkyrie, Banner, Thor, Valkyrie, and Loki. So, because it's polarized, every single one of those little interactions between the characters keeps the scene moving, and nothing becomes repetitive. It's not like all four of them walk into a room, they all speak, and they all react the same way. Every single one of them is reacting differently. So, Thor is really eager to get out there and save Asgard, and he's like, I'm putting together a team, the Revengers, right? And he's got this whole sort of sense of, like, he's going to create the glory... Like, he's trying to be, he's trying to recreate what happened in the Avengers when he was this big damn hero. He's trying to do it again. But Banner is like, we're all here for for revenge, aren't we? I'm for revenge. And then Valkyrie, like, you're here for revenge. And Valkyrie's just kind of like, she's kind of along for the ride. She doesn't really care. It's just that she she doesn't have much else to do. And like, th- and, th- and she's like, you know, if I, if I don't do this, I'll just stay on Sakaar drinking all the time. And like, Thor's like, you know, you drink too much. And she's like, no, I'll keep drinking. It's just like, she doesn't want to just drink him. <laughs> <laughs> just on Sakaar anymore. Bruce Banner is kind of like bewildered. Uh, he's trying not to freak out. He's not really up for revenge. He hasn't decided yet. That's his. That's his statement. He kind of hasn't. He can't stay on Sakaar, but he kind of doesn't know what else to do. So he's just along. And then Loki is clearly playing his angle, right? Loki's like, I'll help, but so long as I get something out of it, mm. um, and uh, it's better for me to help you than not help you. That's all that matters to me, right? So he's very selfish. Thor is very sort of idealistic. Valkyrie's just kind of like, nah, I don't really care, and Banner's just, I don't know what to do. So four of them, all very different. They all interact differently. And as soon as Loki's involved, the fact that Loki could betray any of them and probably will betray them. Banner is very scared about this. Valkyrie is just like, I think he's not worth the effort. And Thor is like, no, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> right? I'm used to it. It's fine. <laughs> like, so, you know, Thor's like got this optimistic, oh, it'll all be fine. We'll all work together. It'll be fine. And everyone else is, nah, really? Really? So, anyways, the cast is just lovely. It's really nicely polished. Let's, let's just go into a bit more detail then with the cast. Um, mm. and talk about the dimensions yeah, of so, each of the characters. Yeah, the characters are to, to make it polarized. So there's this sense of like, on the one hand, characters need to be able to surprise. If you know everything about a character, they're very boring, right? But at the same time, they need to have um, some element of unpredictability within what you know of them. 
Not just like out of the blue, Thor goes, <laughs> I've been the bad guy all along, right? Or he just goes, you know what? I've had enough of being the God of Thunder. I'm going to become um, a mascot in the gladiatorial ring. Like, you know, it has to be within the character, but mm. within there, there has to be something surprising. And dimensions, uh, this the, the, that is the contradiction within the character. So they, they have dimensions. And when you make the dimensions very clear... Um, it can help with this polarization and keeping characters surprising because people know exactly what they're like. And then when you do something that's very clear within character that surprises you, it just makes sense. You can just, you know, uh, keep it all together in your head. Um, and so Thor, Thor has this sort of central dimension of that he's an adult and a child at the same time. Right, he's 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 sort of like he's he's the king. He's serious. He's the big damn hero. He's smart, and he's actually quite smart in this. Right, he is. There's a there's a number of moments where he outsmarts somebody. Yeah, he outsmarts Loki. He outsmarts Hela. He right? outsmarts Valkyrie. He outsmarts Valkyrie. Like he's he's a smart guy. He's, he's not stupid. Uh, he's accomplished. He's he's like he's, he's he, you know he's got this sort of dignity to him and all that stuff. But at the same time, he's really undignified, kind of stupid and bumbling. Um, <laughs> Right, he's just this sort of like very immature, childish person at the same time. And one of the best ways you can see that is how he interacts with Valkyrie, because uh, it, it, that dimension is fully realised when he meets Valkyrie. Because on the one hand, all his love of Asgard and the fact that he wants to be this Asgardian king and warrior and that sense of duty and patriotism he has for Asgard, it, he has that ven that he sort of venerates the Valkyries. He says, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Valkyrie, but I didn't know they could just... You, you know, I didn't realise that they are all women. But, you know, he wanted to be a Valkyrie. Um, and so, like, he, on the, so that veneration he has for Asgardian tradition is there. But at the same time, because it's because he looks up to the Valkyries and he's finally met a Valkyrie, he's never met one before, he kind of stumbles across all his words. He, he, he like, second-guesses his own words and he makes all these mistakes and then... He, like, and also there's just these bits where he's just like he doesn't know what to do with his hands or his arms he's very self-conscious and so like and he he tries to make a point but he fails like you know you get the sense like he wouldn't have come up with the name the revengers except to try and impress valkyrie like that yeah. that was the whole point it's like he's trying to instill in her this sort of let's be a hero and be in an adventure like the avengers but slightly different the revengers like she's never heard of the avengers one right and like he didn't think of a name beforehand so it's beautiful because on the one hand he's being smart stupid at the same time right so like he's making his plan of how he's going to win back asgard but he hasn't really bothered to work out the name like he, you know that kind of thing so like his scenes with valkyrie you get to see both sides of that play at the same time you notice as well so so he's an adult but he's a child yeah but the childlike nature when he's with valkyrie is very <clears throat> different to when he's with banner i uh, sorry <laughs> with, with, with the hulk yeah because when he's with the hulk he's like no 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 i'm stronger yeah like i could beat you in a fight yeah exactly like, yeah. it's a competition baby arms <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff right yeah so yeah i, I could beat you i won easily yeah, <laughs> doesn't sound right. It's true. Yeah, he's just trying to one up him and all that stuff. Um, so he's got that sort of real immaturity to him at the same time. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And but when he's with Loki, he's the mature one. Yes. Right. He's really mature with Loki. Um, he look. He, you know, he when he reminisces about when they were kids and all that stuff. He's the one who's maturing and wise, whereas Loki's still kind of regressive. Right. So yeah, because uh, Loki still holds a grudge, but yeah. Thor's forgiven him for yeah Thor's like you know I because there's this sense you get that Thor mourned for him when he died mm. there's a really nice bit of the costuming that they never bring up which is uh, when Thor has long hair one of the strands of hair is black because he's braided one of Loki's hairs into his hair huh. things like that right that's amazing yeah so like you get the sense that when Loki died th it really affected Thor and Thor can't hate him anymore because it's just like I really I really miss you and I've always loved you yeah. and I've always, I've always thought the world of you <clears throat> and you could be so much more but you don't want to be mm. and it's like he, I'm not going to keep trying to change you anymore because you're who you want to be and that's it and I just you know I love you and that's it and there's that thing at the end where it's like we're going to go to Earth and it's like do you think it's a good idea for me to go back to Earth and he's like we'll work it out don't worry like you know I've forgiven you everyone else has to just deal with that now because you're my brother so there's this just genuine sense that Thor is very mature and loving when he's with Loki, but when yeah. he's with Banner, he's immature and one-upmanship. When he was Valkyrie, he's this bumbling kid and all that stuff. And so, like, with everyone, uh, you know, everyone around him, he's just very... He, he. So the cast is polarised, so that, that little dimension of Thor 
can play out in all those different shades because every character brings something slightly different out of him, mm. which is how you want it to work, right? You want, yeah. th- and I, I'm guessing by the way, this is one of the reasons why Chris Hemsworth, he was sick of being Thor. He didn't want to be Thor anymore. His contract was finished, and it seemed like that was it. He's not going to be Thor anymore once it's over. And Taika Waititi came along, and he and Waititi were just like, yeah, we don't really like Thor. Can we just have fun? And Marvel, because Guardians of the Galaxy did so well, they went, yeah, sure, if a tree and a raccoon can be the biggest blockbuster of the year, sure, do whatever the hell you want. So they're like, woohoo, can we have the Hulk? Here's some money. Can we film it in Australia so we don't have to, like, commute? Here's some money. Can we get Kate Blanchett because she, like, lives around the corner or something? Here's some money. Like that. And they were just like, yeah, let's just spaff the money. Let's have this crazy thing. The Thor franchise is no one's favourite. It's not doing very well. Let's just take a risk. Give it to this guy, Taika Waititi, who got the job, by the way. He did what's called a sizzle reel, where you take um, clips of things to create a tonal atmosphere of what you would go with. And he put the all to the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. And they went, that's brilliant. Yeah, that works. Yeah, you can do this film. And he's like, cool. Can we actually get Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song? He's like, oh, that's a lot of money. Oh, look, Disney. There's some money. Get Led Zeppelin. He's to record it for you. Like, do it again. Like, whatever. Here's some money for you. Led Zeppelin famously don't let their music go out very no. much at all. No. So, so yeah. They, they probably... <laughs> they paid a lot. So, the fact that that's the case, and, like, you can tell um, behind the scenes, and the fact it's clearly on camera, how much fun everyone had interacting. And Hemsworth has actively stated he wants to do another Thor film. Mm. Like, so, the fact that his... his Will com- Waititi do it? I think that's implied. Right. <laughs> so I, thought, I think very clearly like uh, Chris Hemsworth is like I want to do a Thor 4 basically if we can film it in Australia and Taika Waititi directs it we're doing another one right <laughs> so it's it, like he, they enjoyed doing it so much that they're up for just doing it again yeah um, which is a far cry from the first two films right so let's yeah let's and push... it's because, as I was saying it's because like you can tell like Chris Hemsworth depending on who he is with in what scene yeah. he gets to play the character a little differently he's not just this one note character he's got stuff to do and everyone in the scenes get to interact with him differently and it's fun um actually just before we move on to yeah. Banner and the Hulk um it's not to say the like so Dark World is is not great. Not great, and we'll. we'll it's come... mediocre. It's not. Like, it's not like terrible, but it's just like it's a bit dull. It's forgettable. We'll, we'll yeah. come back to that in a sec. Um, but the first movie, he, I, I still stand by the first movie. Yeah, being I like it. A, a really good shout for a Thor. It's it's a fun film. Uh, it's I remember as I said, it's, it's funnier than I expected. I remember sitting there in the film, like it's just funnier, like Thor, like going, give me an animal large enough to ride, and things like that. It's just like this is really funny. Um. The action stuff wasn't that great, but it was okay. It wasn't bad. There were some nice bits in it, like when he pins Loki to the floor with the yeah. hammer and all that stuff. It looked good. It was nicely done. Um, but the, 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 the sort of problem with it was that it's it's fun and it's nice, but it's not like, um, it's not like Thor himself is that exhilarating. No. Right, he's just not that fantastic, and it, it, like, for, for example, it's one of the reasons I don't like Captain America. I I don't know what Captain America's dimension is. Like, he has one. He's a ninety-eight pound weakling who becomes Captain America, but once he becomes Captain America, he doesn't have a dimension anymore. Yeah. So, like, well, what's going on with this character? He's just sort of nice all the time. He he he's a lot like Superman, but without Clark Kent. Yeah. So it's just like uh, so Thor. Um, you know, originally Thor was like he's Donald Blake, but Thor he had the secret. And this time they didn't. In, in in that one, they had this sense of like, well, on Earth he's kind of arrogant, cocky, fool, all this stuff. On Asgard, he's this big, larger than life character. And over the course of the story, he goes from immature to mature. Right. So there's another contradiction in the character. Like he's immature, but he's has the potential to be a king, and all that stuff. So he has he has it, but it's it's um. The cast isn't as polarised. So while Thor himself is just like, well, I've got these sort of two dimensions, every scene he's either going to play one of four things. It's not... His dimension isn't expressed as deeply and richly as in Ragnarok. Right, yeah. And and, and because, um, you know, uh, he run, yeah, he runs <laughs> out of different ways he can play yeah. Thor in just a few scenes. Mm. Um, and that's that becomes a problem for an actor, which is why, you know, actors want, like, 
A lot of actors, for example, will take a gig based on what other actors have already done the gig. So this is why Movie 43 got made. I don't know if you ever heard of this film. It's a sketch movie. Yes, I did. It's, it, behind the scenes, it's one of those, it's a nightmare because what happened was they would sign actors by saying, there's another actor in this film. It's like, Kate Winslet's in this film, Hugh Jackman's in this film, and so on. Chloe Moretz is in this film. Look who's in this film. So they all signed up, go, wow, I'm going to be in this film with all these actors. Then it turned out to be a sketch thing that they're all contractually obligated to, and none of them are in any of the same scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they realised they're not working with those actors. Uh, and so it burned a lot of people, that film. Uh, so so when you have, like, you know, you've got Anthony Hopkins, and of course Hemsworth at that time was, you know, he was a nobody. He, he didn't really have much of a career, Hemsworth. He was on Home and Away. And like It was Home and Away, not Neighbours. No, it was Home and Away and, like, Strictly Come Dance Room. Or All right, weird. Uh, my, uh, that was it. Like, Hemsworth, yeah. Hemsworth was not, like, a big celebrity at all. Um, My wife and I were having a conversation oh, about which one wh- wh- about which neighbors of I mean, which wife or <laughs> no? <laughs> which uh, we well, I think we thought it was neighbors, but okay, yeah, it's home and away as far as I'm aware. Um, and so, uh, and Taika Waititi has done these independent films, right? And he's <laughs> he and Taika Waititi said like he thought of Thor Ragnarok as a career ender, <laughs> and he said it, and he goes, but I mean that in a good way, and he goes because. Whenever I get that sense of, well, this could be it. <laughs> this could be it. This could be the end of my career. He goes, I, that's when I've done my best work. Right. So he's like, I, I, I've, I, it was like, I had that feeling. I'm like, that's normally a good sign. Let's do it. Like he, 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 I, like, he got the sense he just sort of applied for it, didn't know if he'd get it. And when he was offered it, he went like, yeah, let's see what happens, you know? So, because he's, he's never, like, it, it was like three times longer than his longest ever shoot. He had a budget, you know, things like that. It's like, oh man! Like again, so Waititi, Hemsworth, these when they started on Thor, they didn't have um, much of a credit. Like, and you know, he gets to work with Anthony Hopkins, and he works with Hiddleston, but Hiddleston was nobody as well at the same time. Mm. So over time, like he's got this nice cast that you get to interact with. You've got Kate Blanchett and all this stuff, you know, and you've got a director that you're really not sort of clicking with, you know. Uh, changes things anyway that was quite the segue let's get back to the dimensions yeah uh, Hulk so, uh, Hulk's dimension is Banner and Hulk <laughs> it's, it's just obvious like one is a petulant angry child and the other one is, is like this sort of nervous timid uh, adult and like seven PhDs was seven PhDs yeah and um, and of course like the, the fun thing is within each of them there's little dimensions like Banner is really timid but really angry Banner is angry, mm. not the Hulk. It's a different kind of anger. Yeah, uh, he gets stressed out, freaked out all the time. He's just like he's always on edge. Uh, whereas Hulk, on the one hand, is like raging, childish, and all that stuff. But he has these sort of moments of serenity. And he's just like, yeah. What they've done, Hulk like fire. What they've done with Hulk <laughs> is something that I, I'm not, I can't say I've been waiting for it, but I've been bored by Hulk a little bit. In, yeah. in other. Um, yeah, movies, so especially in Avengers. Yeah, but in this, they've kind of breathed life into him as well. Yeah, because um, you, when he becomes the Hulk, he stops having choices. He stops doing things. Yeah, um, and when he becomes the Hulk, and you want to make give him choices, like that's cool. Now he has to have choices, so that you have to actually have him do stuff. Mm. And they have him speak a lot as well, but he speaks in the way he should, and all that stuff. Mm. And it's like. The the whole the the only the whole thing about like when he turns into the Hulk like the character goes out the window is sort of like it it doesn't <clears throat> the Hulk being a monster works when he's the, sort of partly of the villain but he can't like when he's the Avengers and he does that it becomes sort of a problem yeah because it's just like well now we had the villain but now we also have the Hulk on board and it's a problem how, that, how do you control the Hulk because the Hulk's essentially another iteration of the the werewolf character yeah. right or the Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde yeah. um, and typically that's the bad guy yeah right yeah you have the, the good guy yeah. and the bad guy the same right. person and so you have this problem of like well if this monster or this villain is going to be part of the protagonist the sort of ensemble protagonist you have a sort of issue with of like well how how do we make that work Mm. Um, and so I like the way they did it which is like Banner is scared of being the Hulk but when he's the Hulk he's actually he's not dangerous Mm. right 
but he's scared of it for his own sanity. Yeah, because he, he well. was the Hulk for two years prior to this movie. Yeah, right? and he didn't remember it. Yeah, and it's like that's I, I'm scared. That I'm not. I'm not going to become banner again and of course when he jumps off it's his choice so you don't feel bad because mm. he's not forced into it and of course it's hilarious because uh, <laughs> he just lands on the bridge just broken in pieces and becomes the Hulk um, and when he becomes the Hulk Hulk has his sort of like the, the thing is also is the way that Hulk and Thor interact is different to how Hulk and the rest of the uh, Avengers would interact with him yeah. and so with Thor because Thor can actually take on the Hulk you get the sense that they they can work together because Hulk like will listen to Thor but you don't get that sense that he will pay attention to say Cap hmm. um, really and all that stuff but anyway the, the point being is like Hulk has a few shades that he didn't have before um, so Valkyrie yeah Valkyrie is this sort of graceful warrior but this loutish mercenary she has one of the best entrances <laughs> like, it is the best entrance her, her entrance in this film is amazing the, Thor is being attacked by all these junkers who have called him food they're going to eat him or something and she shows up in a spaceship and she says hey he belongs to me and then she swigs uh, down a bottle of alcohol throws it to one side you hear it crash in this junk pile and she starts walking down the flight of her ship and there's music playing and it's kind of in slow motion and it's Tessa Thompson and she's beautiful and she's graceful and she's in this cool costume and all that stuff and then you notice that she's kind of like teetering a little bit <laughs> she just falls off the walkway and crashes into the dirt <laughs> it's just like and then they just all the monsters just like turn around and carry on trying to eat Thor as if it didn't happen and it's just one of those great entrances uh, and it just tells you who she is. Like, there she is. You think she's this graceful warrior and turns out she's this loutish mercenary who's out for herself. And the whole film just keeps playing between those two things. She's just always thinking about herself versus uh, thinking about her duty at, to Asgard and everything. And she just keeps playing between those two things. Lovely character. Grandmaster. The Grandmaster uh, is... Uh, I love the Grandmaster. Um, he's this evil, despotic, mad tyrant, but he also happens to be the dude from The Big Lebowski. Yeah, he's just... He's completely laid back. He DJs jazz for no reason at all. He actively doesn't like using words like slaves. Um, he doesn't... He's not capricious. He's very capricious, rather, but he doesn't just kill people. Like, there's this wonderful bit where... There's that cliche of cliches. He's explaining something and Loki interrupts him. And he goes, hey, hey, don't talk when I'm talking. Don't interrupt me. And Topaz, his assistant, hands him the melting stick to kill him. And he looks at him and he's like, why are you handing me the melting stick? He just interrupted me. That's not a capital offense. Like, this idea of just like, yeah, I'm, I'm an evil tyrant, but come on, I'm civilized. <laughs> like, he just kind of doesn't care about anything. He has no plan. Right? He just... And all he does is have orgies. <laughs> in his ship. I didn't realise that he just said it, that um, that he has no plan. And he has of course no plan. Like... What is his plan? His plan is nothing. His plan is everything is perfect as it is. And I'm just going to sit around and do nothing for eternity. That's his plan. <laughs> He's got nothing else going on. Right? <laughs> He has no desires at all. And not only that, like, he's not vengeful at all. He has no grudge, really. Because that wonderful bit, the post-credit sequence, after they have a revolution and he's been, like, deposed, he gets out, there's all the angry mob, and he goes, well, I, I have to say, I'm very proud of you all. This was a great revolution. <laughs> and, you know, we all did our part. Me too. You know, you have to have someone to overthrow, and I think I did a pretty good job. So, you know, we all did really well. Yay, us! It's a tie. <laughs> right? And you kind of get the sense that, yeah, I think I think he's won him over. Right? He, just, he just wants to go back to having his orgies. What's That's all the, What's the Grandmaster from the comics? Oh, dull. Oh, really? Yeah, the Grandmaster from the comics is like, I have a chessboard and I will use my chessboard as a metaphor for all my plots across the universe. Oh. And everyone goes, I don't care. <laughs> He's boring, he's dull, he's uh, he's just like... The idea is that they're, they're in the comics is there's these characters called the Elders of the Universe. And uh, they're all immortal. And they've all devoted themselves to one thing. And that's how you can tell because their name tells you it. So the Collector has devoted his life to collecting. Oh, so the Collector's one of the... Yes. Uh, the Runner... Runs. Runs. <laughs> the Champion fighting. The Gardener has a lovely garden... The Grandmaster games. 
Okay. That's it. And it's just like, this is fine, whatever. But, you know, and these guys each have an Infinity Gem and Thanos takes the Infinity Gem from each one of them. In the comics, that's what happens. And so, of course, as soon as they announced the Grandmaster was in there, everyone's like, well, clearly the Soul Stone is going to be in Thor Ragnarok. And the Grandmaster, how does he play into it? And like everyone's expecting like the Grandmaster to be this oh, big, God, that's perfect. big major villain. He turns out to be, you know, Trevor Slattery, the Mandarin. Like he's just like, yeah, I'm just I'm not interested in any of this stuff. Like the the central thing about the Grandmaster in the comics is like he's got his he's supposed to be like this cosmically uh cosmic threat who's like manipulating all the time <laughs> in the film. He's like, I don't care about any of this stuff. He doesn't know what Asgard is. He goes As 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 Asberg, As whatever Asgard or whatever. Yeah, you can go back to your place, Sparkles. You know, he just doesn't care. Um so it's great. <laughs> um he's a great character, I love him. Hella. Yeah, Hella. Um Hella, you I showed you that video. She's like a con- conglomeration of a bunch of characters from the comics. Six, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Uh they took a bunch of Thor villains and sort of merged them together. Made all of them better. Yeah, by making one of them Kate Blanchett. The most <laughs> the most interesting thing um by the way, do you remember who did the video because it's it's a really nice Nando Dan- Nando versus movies is the guy. He yeah, his videos are quite nice. Yeah. So it's quite it's a cool video on uh, on YouTube. So yeah, do, it's do called Why it. Hella Isn't Hella, yeah. which sounds like an angry fanboy. Sounds rant. like clickbait. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, I guess that's why it's called that, right? Yeah, sure. But it's not actually an angry it's like really <laughs> intelligent. It sounds like a gatekeeping thing. Like you guys don't understand. Yeah. He does another one. Why ego isn't ego. Right. Um. Uh. From Guardians Two. But they're actually not that. They're like, let me show you where this character came yeah. from, from all these different sources in the comics. But the the most um, the most interesting part of the video was when he shared um, the the guy that worked on Guardians. Yes. Um, uh, not Guardians, sorry. Uh, cool. Thor Ragnarok, explaining the power uh, choice with Hela. Oh yeah. So, gore, right? Yeah, so the powers come from gore because in the comics, Hela has, can kind of do stuff and it's yeah. all a bit um, kind of wafty. And, but for the movie, it needed to be very clear. And yes. Very, what, what can she do? What actually can she do? So she's very tough, but she can produce these like shadow blades. Yeah, blade she can just generate weapons out of nowhere, yeah. right? And that comes from a villain called Gore, yeah. the God Butcher. Who apparently, if I remember right, the villain, his ability is he can generate these swords and he's someone who's purpose built to kill gods. If I remember right. He he prays to gods, his family's killed and so he's out to get revenge on these gods. So he's travelling around to to kill them. Yeah, Yeah, so he's called Gore the God, God Butcher. Yeah. And so they took that power to make her abilities visual. Yeah, which it, which in and of itself is such a considered choice. Like, yeah. how are we gonna make? How are we gonna give her a visual power rather than being, you know, yeah. immortal? Or... And, and also, it's a there's a cute little thing that makes a part of the Odin family, which is Odin, not Odin, big pun. Thor, Loki, and Hela all draw their swords the exact same way. Do they? Yeah, they all have this like shing thing where they do both their <laughs> hands out like that. All of them do it. Loki does it when he sees Doctor Strange. Thor does it when he fights Hulk. Hela does it when she fights the Asgardians. They all do the same gesture. Which is kind of cute. That's really cute. Yeah. Um, so Hela's dimension is. Oh, uh, what? Do, oh, yeah. She's this tyrant, but she's kind of also a Disney princess. <laughs> she's kind of got this Disney princess vibe to her, right? Like it's her kingdom. She's got a big pet dog, uh, right? And she's like, she's and she's also really sort of um, caring in a weird way. Like when she picks Scourge, she's like, "Hey, you want to be with me? That's not a problem. You can join my group. What would you like to do?" It's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you an executioner because you want to be noticed. So I'll make you an executioner because that's a really big honour. She's like really nice. Like, you get the sense that if they had just gone, if they just kneeled with Hela, she'd be like, yeah, cool. Now let's conquer other planets, right? But yeah. like, if you kneel to her, she has no problem with you. So there's this sense of like, she's really evil and tyrannical. But at the same time, it's like, I just want to rule. <laughs> I just want a castle. As I pointed out, it's Yzma and Kronk. Yeah, Scourge is Kronk, she's Yzma, and it's very much like they turned Thor into a llama and sent him off, right? And that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the God of Thunder's new groove. Like, that's it. That's what the film is, okay? Um, last one, Loki. Uh, yeah, Loki, um, he's honest and duplicitous. He's both. Like, there are times where Loki's really honourable and has integrity. 
He doesn't betray people. He doesn't do the mean thing that he could have done. He has this sense of nobility to him, right? And at the same time, he constantly breaks his words, lies, betrays. That honesty is what makes the character work, though, right? Because if he was constantly duplicitous, it would... You, yeah, why would anyone ever believe him? Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's got this sense of, like, he has this nobility to him, which makes you feel like there's this constant sense of Loki can be a really honourable noble integral person that's what Thor sees in him right but he never is but if he didn't have that aspect of him if he just kept betraying everyone and being mm. duplicitous no one would ever trust him and he'd be very dull to watch um but in in this sense he's like Iago in Othello right he's got that sense of just like everyone likes him because he's charismatic and charming but he's duplicitous at the same time so you can't really trust him but he's very good at earning your trust that's what makes him somewhat interesting. And Loki, by the way, is, is a character I, uh, that I can't remember Dark World well enough. But I remembered, I, I did make a count of this, but Loki has more dimensions in Dark World than any other character in the film, which is a huge problem because all your... I remember when you're watching the Dark World, what you really care about is whether or not Thor, Loki will be redeemed, not will Thor save the universe. Thor saving the universe is less interesting, emotionally interesting, than Loki's redemption. Mm. And that is a huge problem for the film because the film's central plot is not Loki's redemption. That's a subplot. Yeah. So you're watching it and the thing that interests you the most, which is watching Loki not try to get redeemed, fall, and then trick his way into becoming the king of Asgard, that's what's interesting you, but you don't get to see that. It keeps cutting away to them fighting to save the universe. And you go, I don't really care. I know they're going to save the universe. I'm not invested in this. Mm. And the way they tried to make you invested was... The villain kills the mother of the hero, which is such a cliche, you don't care. Mm. you know. So that's one of the problems with it, is like actually Loki's a bit too interesting in Thor Dark World. And in this one, they sort of shade him down a bit, so he's just in line with the rest of the cast. Um, okay, one last thing then on the cast. Um, and, and by the way, one of the things that makes Loki sort of integral is that he's, he's selfish, right, a lot of the times. But he also has this sense of he actually cares. Like, he's constantly trying to get Thor to join him. It's yeah. like, forget about Asgard, we'll be together. Like, Thor and Loki have this sense of, like, they they, they don't really want to fight. Loki has no real interest in hurting Thor or betraying Thor or any of that stuff. It's just like, I want to make sure I'm okay, and I would like you to be with me, but if you're not, then I'm just going to, you know, let you burn. But it's up to you. Like, you can join me. So, like, he wants Thor to rule Sakaar with him and just leave Asgard to rot. He mm. doesn't care, right? But he doesn't just want to rule Sakaar by himself, if that makes sense. He doesn't want to just be mean to Thor, just to be mean to Thor. He doesn't have that in him. Mm. So there's that sense of nobility, because you can see, because he's kind and he cares about what Thor thinks of him, you get a sense that that, beca- that ma- is what makes it contradictory. It's not just lies. Mm. Anyway. Um, so you've made this point off mic... Um, uh, I think it's really interesting. The He-Man toys. Yes, the He-Man toys. I saw um, a while ago now. I saw, just on the internet. I saw a poster advert thing, and it was for the old He-Man toys from like 1984 or 83 or whatever it was. And it was like a huge wish, flashback of nostalgia. Um, but what you had on the picture was you had He-Man, the He-Man toy, and then surrounding him were the other toys from that wave of toys. It was like an advert from that time for the He-Man toys or something like that. And you had them all. You had Triclops and you had uh, Teela and Trapjaw and Merman and Skeletor and all those guys. And uh, Beastman and all those. And why I looked at it was all those characters essentially have the exact same sculpt. Sculpt because it was, you know, the 80s. So they all look the same. However, what's different about them is their heads are different um, and their... um, paint jobs are different and then there's a few other details that are different but more important so they're all kind of the same like for example the obvious example of this is like if you look at the he-man and skeletor toys or the they are the exact same toy except skeletor's head is different otherwise they're the same thing you know like their feet are slightly different shapes they're fundamentally all the same toy um but what's interesting about every single one of them is they had a, to sell the toys every toy had to have a gimmick right so every toy has this unique gimmick, and that, like, so, you know, He-Man might have a uh, a special sort of, you know, arm attack swing. Ram-Man, you push him down and he has a spring that makes him jump. 
um, Stinkor's gimmick was that the toy stank, right? Um, Grizzly Grizzly Man's gimmick was that he's covered in fur, right? So he's got a different tactile sensation to him, etc., etc. They all had a little gimmick. Trapjaw could change his arms around. Triclops had three faces. Uh, so did Manny faces. There were two characters. One was good, one was evil, right? All those characters, those gimmicks, polarized that cast in a very superficial way, but it polarized them. So that's what made that interesting because those little toy shows that you had back in the early 80s, what because the, the toy lines were so big, you could do things where it's like, well, let's have an episode where Optimus Prime and Bumblebee are together. Let's do an episode where it's just Hound and Jazz. Let's do uh, a scene where it's just these two characters. The best example of this actually is Visionaries where the cast was really small but really polarized and basically every character in the cast had a special episode for themselves and it got and along with a villain so you they paired the good version and the bad version of each character together and with just that one cast they were able to produce 13 really good episodes um like for example one of the episodes you had these two characters Ektar who was a cop before they you know the the storyline gets started up he was a cop in the backstory and Recon who was an expert bank robber in the backstory. And so you have this thing where like, it's a magical um, world now, a fantasy world and everything, but it's an Ektar Recon story where the two of them are... like Recon's trying to steal something from uh, Ektar, and what they discover is they... No, beg your pardon. They switch roles. Ektar is trying to steal something from Recon. So it's great, right? Just how do you polarise the cast? Ektar's the cop, Recon's the criminal. Okay, we put them together, this happens. He-Man had the same thing. Okay, Trapjaw has this power, and this character has this power. And superheroes used to do this, you know. They were just basically named after their powers, and they had a power, and that was what made them unique, and you polarised them that way. Hmm. So it's very toyetic in that sense. That's what that word is. Like, you can make toys out of it. And Thor Ragnarok just has that tradition of just, like, easily polarising a small cast around their capacities and so on, and it just really works. Everyone is very distinct. Everyone is very clearly defined. Everyone looks very different as well, right? That's really great. Like, you know, Thor is red and blue, right, with blonde hair. Loki is green and black and gold, right? And Hela is sort of this green and black but and white because she has the really pale white skin because everything's so black. Um, and then you've got uh, Scourge, who's blue and black. And then you've got uh, the Hulk, who's just green, and right? No, no. I... <laughs> The just grandmasters, kept thinking about haircuts as you were yeah. talking, yeah. all the haircuts. So. All the haircuts, everyone just looks different, everyone has a different gimmick, everyone has really clear dimensions. The dimensions aren't the same across the cast and all that stuff. And so you have this, what that old school sense of like, why it was so easy to get into those franchises to mm. begin with, was every character was so clear and so easily defined, you could just, and yet there was enough. There was enough to get in. Like, if you look at the really bad toy lines and superhero lines of, you know, the 90s and stuff, the problem with them is that these characters aren't dimensionalized. They literally have just one gimmick, and the gimmick isn't interesting. The cast isn't very big, and so they just become very repetitive very mm. quickly. Um, but when you have a nice, very polarized cast where you can constantly create scenes by putting uh, different characters together, then you build a world which has really interesting different settings within that world, you can then polarise it even further by going, well, let's put these two characters, but in this situation versus that situation. That'll change things. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And Thor Ragnarok can do that. Which kind of leads, uh, like talking about the, the 80s cartoons, uh, yeah. leads us to the next point and sort of main point, which is the idea that Thor Ragnarok is childlike, not childish. Yeah, it's that. It's it's got that sort of nice... Uh, sense of like being a child you're just sort of on this fun ride and you're just enjoying it and mm. it's like a kids movie it really is a kids movie in that sense the humor is a bit more adult but it's like it's a kids movie for adults it's just awakening that old it's not immature no it's it's uh, it's the sort of the fun of youth as opposed to the immaturity of youth and not knowing things it's just like you know you remember hey it's like hey you remember what it was like when like it was fun and you had these crazy 80s odysseys and space adventures and stuff here let's let's just get that vibe down and let's put some cool music onto it and make it look like how it should and make everyone simple and clear and have the characters enjoying the fact that they're kind of in this story and let's just have 
fun with it all. What's the? We were talking off mic before yeah. and trying to define why it was why it was such fun to yeah. watch. What was the point you made about um, uh, it being self-contained? Um, yeah, so I was watching uh, some game designers, and like they were trying to define fun, and they they couldn't really define it. And when they did have a definition, it didn't ring true to me. I felt no, 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 that's not encompassing enough. Like, what really makes something fun? And like, fun for as far as I can tell, what makes something fun is the fact that it's pleasure but without stakes. As soon as you put stakes into something, no matter how pleasurable it is, it's not fun. You wouldn't call that fun. You wouldn't call that playing mm. anymore. Uh, the inherent sense of playful playfulness and fun implies that there's no real repercussions off of it. Um, and so Thor Ragnarok, there's stakes inside the story, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't hit the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really, it's very self-contained. Right? It doesn't involve the Infinity Stones. It doesn't involve um, a change of arc that will affect future films. It doesn't feel like the characters are really changing as a result of this story in that sense. You know, The stakes are in the film, but they're sort of contained That's in it. That's a good it. point. There, are, there aren't any arcs, are there? Not really, no. Thor, Thor doesn't really arc. I mean, he, he gets a little bit wiser, but not much. Yeah. It's not like at the beginning of the film... He's a different person than he is at the end. Mm. He's just a bit, he's just a bit wiser, um, but a bit more confident maybe. But the real change is that he's gone from being a prince to a king. Yes. But that's not his character really changing, right? This is just his fortunes. Um, and fundamentally, he was kind of in charge of Asgard beforehand anyway. Like he has been since the first film. I mean, Odin's kind of there, but he doesn't do much. Um, so. Uh, but but also there's this sense of like, you know, when you watch a film, for example, when you read a story and the story is about, say, a social drama, you don't really call it fun because the, the film, the stakes inside the film are also stakes outside of the film, right? So when you watch a social drama that's, say, about, um, I don't know, like you're watching The Wire, right? There's a social drama in there which is about the corruption of, say, the justice system. Well, that's not fun to watch, <laughs> It's really enjoy. It's it's really um, uh, enriching and lovely, and you like you're glad you saw it. But it, you wouldn't call that fun, mm. right? Because it's too real, and you know, like yeah, this is stuff that's happening in the real world and stuff. Same with true stories generally. Um, same same with um, as I say with these franchise films where things are building up and you know they're going to pay off two films down the road and stuff. It's generally not fun when you have stakes. When you have real stakes. Uh, and sometimes if you're watching just even something that's self-contained, like, you know, like I mentioned Othello, you're watching Othello or something by Shakespeare. The stakes in it, because you're so, in such empathy, mm. and it's so, in uh, what do you call it, enthralling, those stakes feel somewhat real to you. There's a real catharsis, right? So when there's this big catharsis to it, that generates that sense of, like, this is more than just playing, mm. right? But when it's just sort of, the stakes in the movie keep the movie going, keep the movie interesting, fun, and exciting, but the film never kind of threatens to spill outside of its runtime. And so as a result, it has this real sense of fun to it. It's just like, yeah, you're going to sit down, you're going to enjoy these 90 minutes, and then that's it, you're done. Don't worry about it, you know? It's not going to hold over you. It's not like a horror film which will haunt you, right? If it's a really good horror film, you'll just be thinking about it and like you won't be able to really sleep, you know? That's not going to happen with this film. Don't worry. You know, for a, for a year after I watched the uh, original Japanese version of The Grudge, uh, right. I would check under my bed cover before I went to bed. Right. I I was 23 when I saw The Grudge. <laughs> right. I remember when I saw The Terminator, there's that, um, I think it's a deleted scene, where the cop, uh, played by Paul, was it Paul, Paul Reinfield, I think it was, um, he... Uh, he, he they're hear, what, hearing uh, Kyle Reese's story, and he just goes, "He better be wrong." Like the guy was, the, the other cop goes, "He's crazy, right?" And he just goes, "He better be." And I remember that moment just stuck with me because I'm like, "Yeah, the the apocalypse is going to happen, right?" And I couldn't get that out. Um, but Thor Ragnarok, like you know, you'll chuckle, you'll laugh, you'll quote the lines, and that's about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's not a detriment necessarily, uh, because the film doesn't have any pretensions. 
doesn't have any pretense. It doesn't. Uh, it's constantly like um, having fun with its own premises and stuff. So you never get the sense that the film um, is is sort of like. You know, the film isn't trying to be this big grandiose thing. It's just like, hey, we know you want to sit down and enjoy this film, so we're going to make this film fun for you, and that's it. You know, we're going to play, and then we'll then we're out. You know, let the big picture stuff be the other films. Let this happen. Let you know. Let let all that other stuff be this other thing. We're just we're going to have fun. This is how this is going to be in our little corner, <laughs> right? <laughs> we have a little corner here. We're just going to have some fun. We're going to probably break the sandbox that we're playing in. But don't worry about it. Like that's the thing. It's like they break they break the sandbox. It's like don't worry about it. Seriously, who were those guys anyway? Did you really know them? No. Don't worry. We'll find another sandbox. It's fine, kids. Don't worry. <laughs> you know that's that sense. Like whenever I talk about um. The kids' story, the presentational genre of the kids' story, it's always that the tone of it is always because comedy is like no one ever gets hurt. For a kids' story, it's it's going to be okay, even if it's yeah. like, going to end badly. Don't worry, it's just a movie. Don't worry, it's fine. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. And Thor Ragnarok is totally like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Put your arms around, like woohoo, roller coaster, do 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 do, like that, right? So don't worry, the roller coaster, we're not going to fall off, but it's going to feel like we are. It's going to be great. That's that sense of play that the film has. What do you think, then, we can learn from Thor? I I really think that the way they've polarised the cast in the film is really good. Uh, and I think that's, like, a nice... I think, it's, I think it would be a nice uh, thing to pay attention to how they keep chopping the cast up, how Thor has scenes with Korg. Then, like, Korg has a scene with Loki. Uh, and how they always constantly interact differently with each other. And then I think, realising how they do that, and how, basically, they have a really simple spine of action. They have a really simple spine of action. The spine of action is just, uh, Asgard is the MacGuffin. Whoever has Asgard can rule the universe. Hela needs the Bifrost, uh, the sword, in order to have the Bifrost, and then access to the armory. So Asgard is the MacGuffin. And Thor is trying to keep the MacGuffin from her. And she's like trying to get the last piece of the MacGuffin so she can use Asgard to conquer the universe. And then at the end, Thor realizes he can't stop her from getting the MacGuffin. So he destroys the MacGuffin. That's basically the plot, right? Really nice and simple. And so all they have to do is they just kind of like go, okay, this scene, this scene, they put characters in different scenes, different settings. Okay, now they're on Sakaar, they're on Asgard, they're on Sakaar, they're on Asgard, boom, 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 all the way through, picking it up, polarizing it so it doesn't get repetitive. And then just because the spine of action is so simple and because there's no subplots, as far as I can tell, there aren't really any subplots. Uh, maybe there's a bunch story, I guess, but there's not really much of a subplot in the film. Um, because of that, every, it just has to move towards climax very, very quickly. And so it doesn't outrun its welcome. So there's that sense of like, you polarize your cast, you have a nice um, wealth of choices in your setting, you move things around, you keep that spine of action really simple. And I think that's like, that seems to me like um, just a way to like <clears throat> maximize on your choices. You make a few choices, but you maximize on those choices by constantly being able to um, recombine the choices you've made in different situations rather than trying to constantly add on top of what you've created more characters, more settings, more ideas, more this, more plot lines. More, mm. like, instead of constantly trying to add on top of it, just go like, no, I'll just make the bare minimum and then play within what I've got and exhaust those elements until I get to the end and get there as quickly as I can. And then kind of just as a... Because, you know, with long-form television, and people really want to do big serials and they want to do big franchises and stuff. And it's like, actually, there's there's a real joy in just telling simple, closed stories. You know, they used to be the, 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 the bread and butter of Hollywood. And it's just like, you know, just to just start, end your story, spine of action... Like, it's just basic storytelling 101, and it's just done really nicely. Like, it's done, it, there's very little in the film, and it, but it, it just works. It works really well. Mm. So it's just that, that sense of just, like, look how little you really need. You just need to make some really good choices. Like, one good choice is better than, like, half a dozen mediocre ones. It's one really great choice. At the start of the podcast, uh, you said, yep, thought it was great, it's simple, 
Yeah. I'm using the word simple. Yeah. But that's a. It's not like it was simple. That's that's. Um, yeah, it doesn't a, mean a it's... negative. Yeah, it's not yeah. a negative comment. Actually, this is what Waititi did with a simple. Yeah. Simple doesn't story mean easy. Design. No. <laughs> Never meant easy. <laughs> like it just means it's it's oh it's like you know it's very clean. Yeah, it's clean and tight. Well, not tight. It's a bit loose, I guess, because of all being poor and <laughs> the joking around. But it's it's just it it just you can follow it. You just follow it very easily. Um, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Mm. Um, it's just sort of graceful by itself, I guess. Anyway, I think I think that's something worth paying attention to. Like, it's deceptive Thor Ragnarok because it's very silly and over the top in that sense. But actually, um, there's a sense of maturity to it and a sense of um, uh, resourcefulness to it that makes me kind of go, you know, it's definitely something I would consider. Like, oh, can I have like a cast of just half a dozen characters? Give them really simple dimensions, simple desires, like a really simple spine of action, and just then play with, okay, what happens if I put these two guys, like, you know, make a note of, like, all the different combinations that I could have, and then play, and make sure I just don't repeat the same one, or Mm. don't repeat exactly the same, you know what I mean, to stop it from being repetitive? Because that's the thing, like, if if you know all this stuff, then you can exhaust it. If you don't know it, if you keep just adding things on all the time, you can't really know your world and that's how you start running cliches and you start being repetitive because you just repeat repeat yourself because you that's the irony you try to add something on top to inf- infuse it with something new but actually what you've done is you've just sort of muddied the waters because you can't explore the new thing because you don't have time for the new thing it's just got the new thing has to just immediately fit into whatever it is you already had rather than coming in and revitalizing it so it's it's interesting to just like think about it like it's almost like you're creating the little pieces in a vacuum and then seeing what happens if you put them together. It's just another way of looking at it. It's not necessarily the way you you know, you should do it. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you might have a character in your head from another story in another genre completely. And you go, hold on, why don't I repurpose that character and put it in here and see what happens? And then suddenly, you know what I mean? Like, mm. play with the ideas a bit more. Okay. Okay. That's it. Thanks. Ooh. Bye. Bye.